Hello and welcome to Fly Over the Grass, the podcast that is all about uncovering creative and entrepreneurial routes into a career in social impact. I'd like to introduce to the show Marika van Sanvoort, a consultant and social entrepreneur from the Netherlands, specialising in cocoa, the raw ingredient of chocolate. Whilst working in conflict resolution in post-conflict communities, Marika found herself working with cocoa farmers in Ghana. She noticed how the complexity and opaqueness of cocoa, of cocoa supply chains leaves cocoa farmers unfairly treated. This experience began her career and life's mission dedicated to shortening and improving supply chains between cocoa farmers and consumers, such as us, under the name of her organisation Moving Cocoa. In tandem, she has started several social businesses. The latest, Pasha de Cacao, is a healthy juice made out of the fresh pulp of cacao fruit that up until now has been a waste product in chocolate production. In this episode, Marika and I discussed the roots of her passion and dedication to one mission and the tricks and tips behind successful solo social entrepreneurship. My mission is really to... um to bridge the gap, to disconnect, to break that disconnect between cocoa farmers and consumers. And that can be in all kinds of ways. Um, That can be in one part of my business where I'm consulting to chocolate companies and trading companies who buy beans and sell it to chocolate manufacturers. And I help them to make strategies about sustainability, how they can incorporate it in their strategy in their company and how they can make it very concrete so what needs to be done on the ground to improve things so i help them to set up projects in west africa for example Mm. uh, or in south america and also i help them to communicate about it because now sustainability is a hot topic and it means everything and nothing at the same time it can mean something different to everybody so but i help companies to find their way in what is, what does it mean for them mm. and how what is most important for them and I help them to actually imp- implement that on the ground so that's one part of my company moving cocoa is the name of my company so it's really about creating change innovation uh, transparency and bringing it all together, connecting the dots. So that's one part of, of it all. And then the other part is that I also import specialty beans from Venezuela and from Ecuador, and I bring it onto the market. And that's not really something that I, I wanted to do. It's just something that I, I saw an opportunity or I saw that nobody was really doing that in that kind of way. So I thought, okay, let me do it. And uh, in, in 2019, so this year, I already uh, imported almost 60,000 kilos of super premium beans. Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot. Quite nerve-wracking. It is. How does that feel to, to do that? It's actually really good because uh, I work directly with the suppliers and with the manufacturers. So there's nothing in between. I basically cut out all the middlemen. Mm. I arrange my own transport from difficult uh, origins like Venezuela and I bring it over here and I connect the chocolate maker to the supplier and I'm just the person to connect these people together Mm. like a a farmer wouldn't be able to reach out to a chocolate maker themselves very easily and because I have this connection because I've been working with chocolate makers for years now Mm. I can do that and the normal model, how it usually goes, is that there's traders in between, long supply chains, all very un- intransparent and um, vague, many people in between. It's not needed. It doesn't have to be like that. It can also yeah. work in a different kind of way. And that is the part of 
my company, my company is called Gaia, Gaia Cacao. And uh, I just connect the dots there. So Marika, can you take me through a bit of a potted history of your kind of travels to date? I, I come from, from a very nice, warm background, small town in the south of the Netherlands. And uh, I have three sisters, very warm childhood, a cotton wool childhood, some people say. It really was uh, very protected and everything. And my parents always give me, gave me the feeling that, you know, you can do anything you want. It was very liberal. They were very liberal and they were always very um, supporting of anything that I wanted to do and my sisters as well. Uh, with giving us the message that, you know, whenever something uh, happens, when something goes wrong in your life, there's always a place, there's always a bed for you here, there's always a door open for you here. So just explore and do and go and find out and make your mistakes in life, which is a very nice kind of uh, feeling to have that as a child. And I really took that to heart because I've always been exploring, you know, to the limits of things sometimes. I first studied psychology at the university and uh, I was always very interested in human behavior and why people do certain things as they do it. Studying that, I also realized that that was not the end goal of it all. I continued my studies into um, more politi- in a more political kind of sphere, international affairs, because that's also it was also in something that I was very interested in. I still am, indeed. So uh, the, from there on, still it wasn't finished, and I, I continued. Uh, taking courses in in human rights, international affairs, uh, human rights, politics, human behavior. That then led to a very strong interest in uh, conflict areas and wars. Um, What what was it about all of that do you find so interesting? I guess to understand like social context when it doesn't go right when it goes wrong so what makes that happen Mm. what happens in a social context when something ticks and changes and people starting to fight one another to understand that Mm. so i got super in intrigued that's maybe the wrong word but very interested to understand everything about the second world war the first world war european wars but then african wars as well and that led me to Africa, of course, eventually it did. Mm. And from there on, uh, I was first in uh, in Cameroon for six months. And I did a project. I worked for a local um, law firm in Cameroon. And uh, did a project there with uh, prisoners, actually, mm. in Cameroon. And... Um, went back to the Netherlands eventually to, to continue my master's. And then I did a, a, a research in Rwanda in East Africa. And that was about understanding the current social context between uh, two former rivalry groups, Hutus and Tutsis, mm-hmm. and understand relationships. So my research was about how, my, like how is the current situation there if you look at the past and what they've gone through. I looked at marriages, inter-ethnic marriages, mm. and understand if that is then a way to predict if it's going well in a country or not. How did you do that research? Was that a lot of, was that very on the ground kind of research? Yeah, it was on the ground. So for six months, I was in Rwanda. Yeah. 
and uh, having a lot of uh, interviews with people. And that was tough in the beginning. Nobody wanted to talk to me about it. Yeah, uh, People are still very uh, yeah, traumatized as well and cautious mm. with what they say. So nobody wants to talk to me. And it took me a long time to establish friendships and have people to trust me before they would open up. And then when they did, oh my God, a lot of information came out of those friendships and mm-hmm. relationships. And it was very valuable for my for testing this assumption that I had. Mm. That must have been a, quite a scary challenge to take on, particularly when you have six months in front of you and... Yeah, and all the methodology that I learned during my studies to how do you do and how do you have an interview, how do you practical stuff, how do you record it, um, what questions to avoid, how to be sensible with certain questions. I really had to uh, (laughs) throw out a lot of the things that I learned and just by doing it and see how people respond to it. Yeah. And then um, have all these these talks with people yes. through relationships and through building trust and yeah confidence. So, yeah, suddenly the kind of um, yeah the cut and dry rules of this and then this and this just doesn't really apply when you're in a I guess quite a, a chaotic um, situation. Chaotic and post conflict mm. and in a way there's still conflict going on in the minds of people. So it's not over yet. A war doesn't stop just mm. like that. It takes decades decades so uh that was very challenging indeed so it was the first a few months of preparation that i would get through my studies then there was six months of field work and then another three months of writing my thesis okay interesting stuff amazing then what happened next i moved back to the netherlands after that and i wrote my thesis and i uh, graduated um and as soon as i did i had a job offer to work in cameroon and I took it, moved back to Cameroon. But this time I was thinking, this is where I'm going to stay. I was thinking, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. Oh, wow. At okay. that time, I did. Yeah. You just kind of, you fell in love with the country. I did. What was it in particular that you loved so much? The vibe, I would say, of the people. Everybody's very enthusiastic, uh, extravert, uh, outgoing, open, friendly. Mm. Everything happens outside all the time. It's very alive. As soon as you get out of the airport in Cameroon, you feel like, okay, this is Africa. All the senses, all the smells, all the people. It's super overwhelming. And I still remember myself as how old was I? The first time I got to Cameroon, I was 19. And people, I arrived at the airport and the people who were supposed to pick me up, they weren't there. They they thought I was going to come there a, a day later. So... They oh. weren't there to pick me up. And I was just there at the airport, this 19-year-old girl sitting on her suitcase because people tried to take the suitcases from my um, from me to, to put it in their uh, taxi. And I was just waiting for these people to pick me up, but they never showed up. So oh, <laughs> that was no. really, uh, really challenging. But then years later, when I was a bit more used to all these sounds and the people and the intensity of the country, I could really appreciate it. That job, uh, I was... Working for a local um, NGO at that time, I was continuing the project that I had set up earlier in prison. And um, I was working with minor prisoners and I was helping them through their court case, preparing their court cases. But I was doing a lot more than just legal work. I was also doing a lot of social 
development work. I was bringing in families of of these young boys to the prison because often mm -hmm. in African context, you know, if you go to prison, then you must have done something extremely wrong. So you are often excluded from you know, from the whole society, basically. So I was trying to reconnect families to prisoners, mm. uh, but also bring in doctors um, to support these boys and loads of stuff. Wow, so that Did already that sounds years. like quite a diverse set of activities and something about understanding how you link things together. Yeah. Um, that feels like it is a bit of a theme, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, but after a certain while, I didn't. It wasn't really a safe environment for me to an, anymore to work in prison. Yeah. I uh, th things were really like heating up. Elections were coming up, you know, and I could feel that tension. And it wasn't. It wasn't safe for me anymore. So I was also um, looking for other work at the time. And then I started to work for another organization who worked focused on on farmers, on getting farmers together, cooperatives, former cooperatives of farmers which is basically a company mm -hmm. that has a certain structure like a normal company has. And uh, this was a, f a cocoa cooperative that I started to work with. And I lived in an environment in a town in Cameroon, the southern part of Cameroon, on a high on a, quite high on a mountain with cocoa everywhere. So it was everywhere around me. So I started to work with farmers, underst understood more of their lives and their struggles, and uh, that's my that was my first step into the cocoa world, actually, and that's now eight years ago. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Yeah. What was it about cocoa? Do you think? I would say, like chocolate is something that everybody loves, and we are familiar with it from a very young age, but we don't really know anything about it. So I, when I started to work with farmers and I understood more of the beginning of the supply chain and then could relate it back to the end of the supply chain, the consumer, I was thinking, oh, wow, oh my God, there are so many gaps in between. There's such a huge disconnect between the farmer and the consumer, the chocolate lover. Mm. And uh, the more I got engaged in that, the more I was also intrigued to close that gap, I would say. And... Um, that was that was actually my interest to understand okay this this huge gap that is there and how can I what is my role to close that gap yeah and how can I help also companies to find their ways uh, who want to improve something companies who want to make a difference in this mm. how do they do that how do they reach out to farmers how do they um, make this their supply chain as short as possible and uh, then I so I did this work for almost two years, working with cooperatives uh, in Cameroon and also in Nigeria later on. And then I uh, eventually moved back to the Netherlands because my time in Africa was, it, it didn't last forever as I thought in the beginning, but it was only two years. I moved back to the Netherlands. I started my consultancy work as a cocoa consultant and I started to consult to chocolate manufacturers to help them in their supply chains, make it as short as possible, as transparent as possible, and mm -hmm. improve their supply chains. And but and that's but that's so early on in your career that you set up your consultancy. That must have been I guess what made you choose to do that um, at that point? Yeah, I, I don't think I have a very 
um, usual consultancy career because mm. basically, indeed, I, I started my consultancy work with very little experience, just a bit of underground experience, and that's mm. it. Um, as soon as I got back to the Netherlands, I, I felt like, okay, I really, I felt this strong mission to do something and to tell the story about what I learned from the farmers and how it is to to live there and to see their struggles. That as soon as I got back to the Netherlands, I just started knocking on doors of chocolate companies and I said, hey, this is what you currently do and I think it can be better. <laughs> wow, really? Yes. Like literally just, just like that? Yeah, that's yeah. how I started my consultancy work. I feel now that I'm working in this, this industry for about eight years and I have my consultancy agency for six years. It's only now that I feel like the ball is starting to roll on its own without me pushing it so much as I used to do. What did that look like, that pushing the ball? It was really me knocking on doors and talking yeah. to people and can I help you to improve your work, your company, your supply chains, to mm. offer my work, to offer my advice, often for free, mm. and um, start writing about it. I spent a lot of time on writing articles and blogs and showing people what my thought process was on this. Mm. And um, yeah, and, and now I feel that that is somehow coming back because that's all online, it's happening online, so you can find it easily. Mm. And it's staying there. That's a good thing about the internet. You know, it's all staying. It's like a database of your life, of the articles that you've written and everything. So true. It's there. Yeah. How do you think you've kind of changed and grown as a person throughout this process as well? Yeah, well, I feel much more stable and confident right now. So stable knowing that the basis that I have right now, living here in the Netherlands, but still working a lot in these countries, in West Africa, South America, and traveling a lot to these places but always coming back home. So it has given me much more stability than I, than I had years ago when I moved to Africa. So that is a very important part of it, feeling stable and confident with it. But also all the possibilities that I still see in this supply chain, in this work that I do, it's endless. It, there's so much to do still, so much work to do. So although I feel very stable, I also feel sometimes restless because there's so much work to be done still. Mm, absolutely. So you, you, yeah, you feel like it's a kind of never-ending It's never-ending. Well, I think that is also how I changed because in the beginning, w when I started my career in, in cocoa and in chocolate, moving to West Africa, thinking really like, thinking really big, you know, having this idea about what I can do and everything. And now I think much more, I still think big, but much more on a small scale. Okay, so if I if I work on this and I do this very well, this particularly small part, okay, and see how that then moves. So I think much more concrete on smaller parts, smaller projects. And that then has a, a triple effect. It sounds like for the most part of your career, you've never been part of an organization. So how do you kind of value your own work or understand your own impact? It is sometimes challenging because indeed you're always working alone. And as a, mm -hmm. as a freelancer, as a consultant, you don't really get feedback from companies. You're just mm -hmm. not getting hired again if they don't like your work. Mm. And that's the kind of feedback you get. So I actually actively always ask in the beginning of a contract when I, 
when I sit down with somebody like okay you have to also through the process tell me how things are going and what I can improve mm. so I build in these moments to talk to my uh, my clients and ask for their feedback on how I can improve the services that I, that I, my company is giving um, and then also you have to measure things like you really have to measure your work first of all there has to be a plan so I have a roadmap of 2020 what I want to do in 2020 mm. and then I continuously check in with my roadmap throughout the year like how is it going am I on track mm. no okay what's going on why, why am I diverted from what I wanted to do mm. and especially if you work on your own all the time you have to do that it's super important because otherwise you get lost in all the work and all the things that can be done still yeah so having a roadmap. It's almost like an accountability, isn't it? Accountability to, yourself, yeah. to myself. But I also, there's a friend that I um, often meet up with and we discuss our plans. So for the plans for the year, but also per quarter. And we check in with each other. How's that going? How's That's that really moving? fantastic. Yeah, we yeah. do that on, on, on social stuff, but also on business. Mainly, it's mainly business plans that we talk about but also financially mm. so we talk about these three things all the time and we check in with each other how's it going how's it moving yeah. so just gosh because your work is so diverse it is you know one day you're giving a talk the next day um you're taking part in a accelerator program then you're in a warehouse <laughs> like that's mad isn't it what 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 is your what your uh favorite and least favorite bits of your work my favorite parts of the work is definitely to be out in the field, in the cocoa field, working with farmers on the supply side, um, you know, being in the rainforest, in the nature. That is where I get most of my energy. So it's de that's definitely the best part of my work, traveling to these countries, being in Ecuador, being in Ghana and West Africa. And that goes right back to the beginning, doesn't it? It is. So it's all yeah. connected. That's a red line in my life. You know, this adventure, drive for adventure. Um, yeah, so that's that's the best part of this work. And I, I'm lucky that I get to travel, yeah, like four or five times a year sometimes to these, these beautiful countries. Can you think of any maybe perhaps where you've had the steepest learning curves? The past year has been quite challenging and I have a startup where I make a juice from the pulp around the beans. So I locally work with farmers and I take a layer of the white pulp around the beans, which is now considered a waste product, and I make it into a fresh juice. And I've been doing that for the past more than a year actually, first figuring out the logistics of it all. How does it work getting it from the farmer to the factory? And how can I do that in a very fast pace? Because that pulp is starting to ferment very quickly. Um, figuring out the logistics, figuring out how much of the pulp can I remove without damaging the beans, figuring out what kind of varieties to use and whatnot. Uh, this has been very challenging, but also very exciting. And that is, it's been a good part of this journey of my cacao juice company. Yeah. But now bringing it to market, market, launching a juice in the European market, starting in the Netherlands, but growing hopefully from there to the rest of, of Europe, is a completely different ballgame. And it's something I have to figure out. And I'm figuring out, I wouldn't say it's the least 
favorite part of it, but it's definitely the most challenging part of it all. And when I started to work with local companies in origin, in Ecuador in this case, uh, I had this idea, I'm going to find partners and we're going to do this together and I'm just going to work on the supply side where I'm most in my comfort space, in my field. Uh, I'm going to make sure that the impact, that it's truthful, that it's really happening locally on the ground things because also on that that supply chain things are changing because farmers normally don't sell the pulp they don't do anything with it really so for them it's also a new thing and i was thinking i'm gonna take care of that part the southern part of the company um so i i was thinking okay i'm gonna attract a few partners we're gonna work together and then they can handle the more northern part of of the story bringing the product to market talking to retail figuring out the financials of it all so i had these partners but it didn't work out because they didn't have the same kind of vision as i have the same kind of mission and drive that i have to really drive this industry forward to really create a change in how it's been going for the past hundreds of years and do something new Mm -hmm. so for me that is the drive and that keeps me going for them it wasn't that case so it didn't work out in the end they went in their own separate ways oh wow god that must have been a difficult time it was it was and then all of a sudden i'm like okay i'm in this alone again and i have to do this and it wasn't about them i mean they're fine guys nothing no no problem there but it wasn't their mission it was my mission and it was my yeah, it's it's my dream to do that. So that's why I will run faster. I will work harder. I will move more than anybody else would, because it's so strongly mm-hmm. with uh, aligned with what I want to do. It's so mm-hmm. fitting in the whole moving cocoa principles of my company and of my personality as well. Uh, so, but it was a very good learning experience, and I learned that it wasn't about them my co-founders, my ex-co-founders, but it was about me feeling the confidence that I can do this, yeah. that I have to move this into the market and find the right people around me. Yes, for sure, because I can't do it alone. But the drive is me. And the story, it's mine. It's my background. Yeah, it's sort of everything that you've done up to this point. It is. Yeah. And how, and how do you um, deal with having, with being the face of everything that you do? There's something about you know, that continuous um, projection of yourself and what you believe in and particularly out in the world on social media all the time. Does that, yeah, how do you feel about that? And It's freaking scary. <laughs> it is. And that too wasn't my plan. So when I started, I designed a logo, I designed this and that. And it has changed because I came to realize in the past mainly in the past year, is that people want to feel connected to you as a person. And they feel more connected if they understand who you are and what your values are mm. than to a logo that can be anybody com- anybody's logo, anybody's company. Mm. So they'd rather talk to you and understand you than a flat website or a very large company. Uh, so the value especially if you are a freelancer if you are your brand Mm -hmm. you have to try to get comfortable with putting yourself out there and that is scary because if you put yourself out there it also means that you can get 
you know hurt yeah people and it hurts people, personally it hurts personally doesn't it because people you know you're being quite vulnerable in the way that yeah. you put out the stuff that is so deeply deeply part of who you are yeah it um, is really 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 scary because there's no filter it is who i am my company is me what i'm doing is me and but it's not but i am not the end vision of it so um it's not about me, you know? So I'm telling a story that's going through me, but it's not about me in the end. But still, people, if they want to r- hear your story, they have to feel aligned with you and they have to somehow like who you are. And because because you're connecting them with that, yes. with that vision, which they might not feel an affinity towards Indeed. otherwise. Indeed. You so it is, it's super important. And I, I start to get more comfortable with it. And um, But I still remember... Uh, when somebody told me, one of my previous clients, uh, I was uh, doing some work for this chocolate manufacturer and I uh, I helped them with some uh, strategies on bringing their chocolate to market. And then there was a journalist who picked up my story and she said, she was doing an interview with me and she was like, wow, that's a very interesting story. I'm going to write an interview about you. And I was feeling very uncomfortable because I knew that this client wouldn't like it because it wasn't, the client was thinking like, you know, I'm hiring you to talk about my chocolate, not about you as a person. But the journalist wanted to talk to me about my background story. So in the end, I asked the journalist, but can you then write two stories, one about me and one about the chocolate so that the client wouldn't feel uncomfortable? And indeed, the client felt uncomfortable that in the end, the journalist... The client did feel uncomfortable. Yes, yes. And he actually told me, well, you are not an expert. And it really hurt my feelings when he said that. But it was the first time when I realized that, okay, so people are interested to hear your story. And it's not it's not only about... If it's just the chocolate and no story behind it, or if it's just cacao, or just then it's not inter- interesting for people. They have to know the story behind it, the person behind it, the values behind that person. Mm. And that is the opportunity that we have through social media. So I keep on repeating it and I find it very difficult to do that, but I have to put myself in that sense more out there. What would you uh, say to anyone who's wanting to make their their passion their work what they love to do their work to first understand what moves you mm-hmm. and it's probably two three different things um but there is a red line in between those things and you have to like pick that up at one point i think that w- that's very valuable if you can pick it up so mm-hmm. in my case it was my my drive for um learning new things, exploring new things, adventure, traveling, um, making things right or better, Mm. um, challenging what is there and can it be different and all these kind of things. That is the red line in my life and in my career. And that led me eventually to picking up what I've been doing and building this company and my love for chocolate. It's all connected. Mm. So everybody's got a story like that you just got to find out what it is yeah you pick out so what are the things that move me and how can i connect these things and then is there a way that i can create a value out of it is is there somebody in the world that needs this kind of Mm. thing that i do or make or or give is there a value and then yes 
there probably is mm. how do i then bring that to market how yeah. do i how do i make that into a business i know you also get a lot of inspiration and uh, fuel i guess from learning yeah and what would be your the books that you would recommend people to read yeah so this is inspiring book that i'm reading right now Uh, it's called uh, daring greatly and i'm sure many people have um, heard about it or maybe she's uh, the author is is, has done an amazing ted talk uh, a while back that many people know Um, and what's it about that's about being vulnerable being vulnerable Many people see that as a bad thing because you're showing yourself, like what we talked about earlier, is like it's scary, you know, you're really putting yourself out there, but it's actually very powerful. And also people other people see it as very powerful. So if you're vulnerable, it's not a weakness, it's actually a strength. And that's what that book is about. And it's true. Mm. And we are not our society is not um yeah, it's not very com- common to be vulnerable, but it's becoming more common to be vulnerable. Yeah, there's there's a there's this slight trait of everything has to be polished, you know. Yeah, business have to be polished, brands have to be polished, everything has to have a front. Yeah, and actually, we're kind of I guess we're learning because of the lack of a lack of transparency that that's that we don't believe those fronts anymore. So we need we need to be able to see the other side. You know, we need to be able to build that trust with people and being vulnerable really helps, you know, for that connection to Indeed, happen. Because if you're vulnerable, then people feel, okay, this person's probably speaking the truth. Mm. Because otherwise she wouldn't, she wouldn't say that, you know, it's not something you would lie about. Or So it's mm. powerful because it creates more trust and, and better relationships. Mm. So um, it's a very inspiring book. It's about personal development. But that personal development is also something you can take into your business. And as a freelancer, personal and business, I don't know, it's not it's not really separated. It's all together. It is one thing. And that is also the difficult part. Like, how do you separate? Like, how do you still maintain, like, a personal life outside of the business? But that's a whole uh, different discussion. But, um, yeah, that book really does that for me. Mm-hmm. You know, being vulnerable, showing up talking to people about your plans and about your vision and keep on repeating it because if you talk to people about that it's a scary although it's super scary to do that mm. uh, it's good because you voice it out and you will see that it will come true that's also how that works mm. so if you keep it to yourself if you just write it somewhere on a post-it and you put it somewhere in a drawer it, it likely won't happen but if you share like this is what I'm going to do like for me, 2020, I want to do a TED Talk, you know, and I keep on now I'm, I have this idea already for a long time and now I'm voicing it out to people. Yeah. It's very yeah. likely that it's, it will yeah. happen and maybe not in 2020. Who knows in 2021? It doesn't matter, but it's going to happen. It's, I think that's really important, isn't it? You've got to keep saying these things because yeah, otherwise to. people are not ever going to... Also, that's a, that's a way of people being able to help you, right? Indeed. And for you to believe that yourself. It's it's really to encourage that self belief. Yeah, so very important. Absolutely. Oh God, amazing! I can't wait to see what the next year holds for you. Me neither. Who knows what's yeah. going to bring? But for sure, uh, the juice uh, and whatever. I mean, 
also with the juice, you know, my juice company making uh, this fresh juice from the pulp. That's not the end goal of it all. That's not my end, what I want to do. There's so many different things that I want to do. I want to be able to pick all these opportunities, move it. And we'll watch you daring greatly. Yes. Whilst you do it. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. It's been, yes, an amazing to hear your journey and your story. And I think there's a lot of really practical things that we can learn from how you followed your passion, but also made that a very practical journey for yourself and... Um, I think that's really important. So thank you. Well, thank you for uh, listening and for talking to me. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fly Over the Grass. What resonated with you? What did you learn? Has it inspired you to take any steps that you might not have otherwise? I'd love to know. Do get in touch via Instagram at FOTG underscore podcast. Or of course, you can email me at hello at flyoverthegrass.com. I'd love to give my thanks to Joe Bush for producing the theme tune, as well as those of you who supported me with the editing of the show. Gabby, Josh, Luke, Ella, Harriet, you know who you are. Thank you. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and share this with your friends if you think they would enjoy these conversations too. Until next time.